Welcome to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive, featuring conversations with performing artists and industry influencers on what it takes to succeed in the arts. I am your host, Diane Foy, and I believe that you really can make a living from your creative talents. As a publicist, podcaster, and coach, my mission is to educate, motivate, and empower you to thrive with authenticity, creativity, and purpose. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. My guest today has over 50 years of success in the music industry. Judy Rodman has sung on decades of hit records or performed live or on TV with artists such as George Jones, Johnny Cash, Elvis Presley, Ray Charles, George Strait, Dolly Parton, Reba McIntyre, and the list goes on and on. During her solo music career, she had a number one record on the Billboard, Cashbox, Gavin, and R&R charts, and won the Academy of Country Music Award for Best New Female Vocalist. Her songs have been recorded by Loretta Lynn, Diamond Rio, Tammy Wynette, and Wynonna, and the number one song recorded by Leanne Rimes' One Way Ticket, which earned her BMI's Millionaire Award. As a vocal coach, Judy has worked with Casey Musgraves, Pam Tillis, Brian White, Radney Foster, and Angelina Presley, and was named Best Vocal Coach by Nashville Music Pros. She also hosts the All Things Vocal podcast, where she offers tons of fabulous free tips to improve your vocal technique. Whether you're a singer, voiceover actor, public speaker, or podcaster, I'm sure that you will gain tons of value from this episode. Well, the truth is I've been singing kind of professionally, semi-professionally, most of my life, and way far more years than not. I started out, you know, singing harmony with my dad and my family, uh, just in an amateur kind of way when I was uh, just a toddler, really. And then in high school, we moved around a lot. My father was in the Air, uh, Air Force and then civilian air traffic control. So I moved around like a service brat. And that was very important to what eventually happened to me in the field of music because I got... Uh, acquainted with all kinds of music in all parts of the country. I've been everywhere from, you know, born in California, raised everywhere from London, England, to Mississippi, where my mother and father are from, to uh, Memphis, to to Miami, Jacksonville, and a bunch of places in between. So I played music wherever we went. I started piano when I was six. So anyway, by the time to, to... you know, kind of jump forward here. By the time we moved to Jacksonville, it was in the middle of my 10th grade. And the the thing that I always did best, I ended up doing and making some money at, which was singing. And I got with a, a little quartet that were doing some national spots, believe it or not, in Jacksonville. Well, then my father moved to Memphis. And so I had to move with the family. And uh, started at 19 doing jingles 
uh, at a, a jingle factory there and then got involved doing after hours at the Jingle Factory, I would do background vocals at High Records and also at uh, Lin Lu Records. So I was doing R&B big time with like Willie Mitchell and people like Ann Peebles and, and Ovi Wright and those kinds of people over there. And then I was working with uh, with uh, Larry Rogers at his Lin Lu Studios uh, singing uh, for T.G. Shepard or singing on the records of T.G. Shepard, including Show Me a Man and those hits like that, and Charlie McLean and all kinds of things like that. So I was learning, 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 learning all the way. And then I was also at the same time singing with a nightclub group where we sang all kinds of top 40 songs. And that we started out doing like Brazil 66 and Carole King, and then we ended up going all the way to Chaka Khan and, uh, and Gladys Knight and the Pips and those kinds of things. So I had to dissect songs to figure out what the background parts were. And, and, you know, we were just jingle singers and jingle, uh, band members, one of whom became my husband, the drummer. And, uh, and then the, then I got sick and my, when my son was born, and I lost all of my music jobs in Memphis because I was in the hospital for three months and in intensive care for, for uh, uh, seven weeks and lost an octave and a half of my range. So there was the first big fail. So we ended up moving to, and my, my husband was doing jingles in Memphis, but we, we were just down to half of our income in a lot of medical bills. So we moved to Nashville and I immediately instead you know two years later we we moved to Nashville when I had been getting physically uh well and it took a couple of years and getting my own voice back almost all the way so then I jumped into doing background vocals for everybody because I was so good at reading music and hearing parts and that was just part of my DNA well I became part of all of those veteran background groups in in Nashville so I was on really vintage records from back then. And I met Tommy West, my producer, who, oh, and I, I got more than I'd ever had vocally from my own, you know, working with my head voice with, with a, a little classical stuff that I had learned in my one year of college. And uh, then I got with a professional vocal coach, Gerald Arthur, here in Nashville. And he, you know, got me all the way up to uh, like a whole step above where I'd ever sung. And then I had a number one record after I became a recording artist on MTM. Uh, you know, met Tommy West, who had worked with Jim Croce, and Jim had died, and he was looking for another artist. So I became that artist, and and we had a, had a great ride on MTM Records for as long as it lasted, which was about three years, and then it folded. And that was my next big fail. <laughs> right. So during that time where you were having, like, hits and you're winning awards and right that was just like a three-year period it really was it was a th wow. about a three-year period and believe it or not that's usually an a kind of a normal thing for a big artist uh the normal big big top of the you know heap sort of career hit career usually only lasts three years did you know the beatles were only on the road for three years Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I, I had to learn how to fall. I really did. 
Yeah, there's definitely always struggles along the way, but right. you've, you've had, you managed to get these wonderful experiences. But yes, for sure, there's some downtimes. Yeah, learned all the way. And then uh, because that wasn't available, you either stop and you die or you hit the brick wall and realize it's a turning point. And so I had been, I'd started writing songs and that, you know, when I was an artist, I was half, about half of, or a third of my albums, I think were my songs. And uh, so I started writing only, you know, just, just doing some songwriting, got with Warner Chapel and had a number one hit by Leon Rhyme that was cut by Leon Rhymes. So I was on the top of the heap again as a songwriter. And yeah. then, if, uh, you know, but in doing that, I became also a, a record producer because I've produced, produced really most of my demos in my catalogs. And I've had catalogs in four different major publishing companies. Now I have my own, but I learned, you know, so I've, I've been doing studio vocals for over 50 years now and also directing other uh, background vocalists, the best in the world uh, as a group leader and a contractor. So there was that whole learning curve too. So anyway, the songwriting thing eventually fell off too because the songs I was writing were not were no longer the ones that were being cut for whatever reason. And so I became a vocal coach because a friend of mine who I'd who I had uh, written with at Warner Chapel and uh, uh, you know was her group leader sometimes when I would call her for sessions. Carol Chase. She was she was on the road now with Leonard Skinner and was having trouble hitting a note. So she asked me how she could do that to give me some ideas about how to how to help her do that in a more healthy way. And I didn't even know I could do it, but she somehow did watching me through the years and working with me. <clears throat> so I gave her some tips that were helpful and from then on I just started my vocal coaching career. And little by little, I learned I was really good at it, and I developed my own way of teaching it. And now I've been uh, a vocal coach for over 20, 22 years, I think. And along the way, I've studied other people's methods. I've studied, uh, with, uh, you know, bent the ear of chiropractors and doctors and Alexander Technique practitioners. So I continue to be on a learning curve. So what I'm doing now comes from all of that. And it's informed by all of that. So me being a producer, me being a singer, songwriter, and me being uh, a performer, you know, I, I bring all of those worlds together. So I really know what works for professional voices, singers and speakers. And that is what I do. I work with professional voices. Yeah, I saw Casey Musgraves on your list right. of people that you've worked with. Right. Um, so that's like the big name now. Yeah. But, you know, I see lots of names that I know, like Pam Tillis. And even with your um, background vocals, I saw Johnny Cash. And yeah. I saw I, Elvis Presley. What's that? <laughs> well, believe What's it or not. What's going on there? <laughs> uh, you know, I was in Memphis when Elvis was mostly recording in Nashville. and I, But I moved to Nashville and then he died. Okay. Right. And then the oxide of the tape, the you know, the two inch tape started wearing off on the outside of the master tape that things like suspicious minds and, uh, those huge, uh, 
the get in the ghetto, those huge iconic hits. Well, they needed that master to, uh, you know, to still be good, that master original tape. So I got hired as part of the background group because one of the singers that sang on his original recordings was no longer singing. So I got to jump in with that group and sing on Elvis Presley records posthumously. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah, well, it was pretty wild. Yeah. And I also saw your roommate was Janie Fricky. Yes. That's cool. Yes. And you were singing uh, jingles together. We were. We were singing jingles together and we were doing some background vocals together. And uh, then uh, she moved to Nashville and became a star. And I moved to Nashville after she did. Now, you know, I, that she moved first and uh, and. She's she's an old friend. I still, you know, hook up with her every once in a blue moon and uh, talk about the old days and the times that my parakeet lived with us and things like that. <laughs> yeah. And what was it like to win the uh, top new country female? Well, that was a heady time. And, you know, the thing about that is you think it's never going to end because the whole world you know, is looking up to you and looking, you know, thinking everybody's telling you it's just going to go on forever. And uh, it was wonderful. It was just really, I mean, this was the day, these were the days before 9-11, of course. And so my whole label met me with a limo and balloons and a big banner across the new Nashville International Airport <laughs> mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And so you just think it's going to go on forever. But this was Academy of Country Music award and uh it uh when it when it doesn't and you never know yeah uh, you just even you could be doing the best work of your life but for some reason the commercial uh marketplace or the just the the way things are uh, become a brick wall like it stops so you have to know how to look at fails these fails these brick walls as just bumps in the road that turn you to go down more of the center of your river now you know it's not a it's just all good it's all good if we can stay away from bitterness which i didn't at first but i've learned that bitterness is is poison to anybody but definitely to a, a professional person and anybody that wants to reinvent themselves and follow the yellow brick road when it turns yeah, I always tell artists that, you know, the superstars, they won the lottery. The ones that are, you know, for three decades, they're like the top of the game. Mm -hmm. That's the lottery. Not mo most people don't do that. But if you love what you do, there are definitely ways that you can at least make a living at this. Right. And have a beautiful journey like you did where you're singing backgrounds, then you're an artist, then you're songwriting, then you're vocal coaching and, and it all kind of flows. Yes. And the funny thing is now I'm back doing everything I ever did. I mean, I, my husband and I wrote and produced and put out a new album in 2015, which wasn't that long ago. And I'm right. In fact, I'm writing right now with a production client that I'm doing vocal production for tomorrow over or Thursday, Thursday and Friday over, over Zoom. So I'm still writing. I'm still performing every once in a while virtually now. And I'm definitely still producing. So, I, you know, it's like 
my, I, the thing is, I think I would be bored if I had to do just one thing. Oh, me too. I'm the same. <laughs> <laughs> I've changed careers a lot too. <laughs> Maybe that's a creative thing. Yeah. Well, I learned it's a, it's a psychology term like multi-potentialite, multi-passionate. Ooh. It's, you love it, eh? It's a good word. As soon yeah. as I found out about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm yes. owning it. Multi-passionate, <laughs> multi-potentialite. It just means that you have a lot of interests and you wouldn't be happy just doing one thing. It's like you just, you want to absorb information I mean, and knowledge. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just go all in. So I own it now. um that's wonderful well in the creative honestly you know and with the people that are going to be listening to this podcast too the thing is that creativity begets creativity and sometimes if you're writing on piano you want to just go over and write on guitar and it brings up a whole new world or if you're dancing you want to go sculpt something real quick and then so they really can help unlock each other don't the creative fields can't they oh for sure yeah and like you know if you Sometimes, you know, people make fun of, oh, oh, she's a singer, wants to be an actor, or an actor wants to be a singer. But when you sing, you are acting as well. Sometimes oh, you're absolutely. acting the song, and it absolutely. works together. So I, I'm a big fan of triple threats, you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what is some of the advice that you give artists about vocals and then I also see you work with speakers as well. And that's interesting because I'm not a singer. I'm just a wannabe. Um, But I have noticed like even just doing the podcast and me being interviewed by other people, it's like, I don't talk so much in my day-to-day life. So sometimes for an hour, I'm like, spilling this. It's like, (laughs) it's hard to speak. I lose my breath. (laughs) Just keep going. So yeah. Any tips for just regular, you know, podcasters. Yes. <laughs> it would be amazing too. Yes, absolutely. First of all, it's where you put your butt and where you put your hands that make a whole lot of difference. You, if you bring your legs in, like I've got a cockpit desk, if you bring your legs in a little closer, then your head can go back a little bit and that's going to open up your resonance cave and your rib cage for better breath immediately. If you use your hands and you put it on your desk and you like help yourself up or get taller a little bit, uh, or you, and you talk with your hands, those, believe it or not, your hands are, you know, eventually connected to your rib cage via your spine and they can help you have more breath control. What you don't want to do. And I work with voiceover artists too and, and some podcasters that have trouble. And what you don't want to do is lean forward into the mic. Uh, the same thing with studio singers. And just move, so move the bottom of yourself in so that the top, uh, your head can be balanced over your tailbone if you're sitting or your heels if you're standing. Right. Yeah. Cause especially if we're, since these days we're all on computers, we're all hunched over. And so exactly. it's also, um, especially singers, I find they always want to lean into the microphone and get right in there. So yeah, that's good to just keep alignment. Yes. And, and I teach people what I call the fine art of pulling instead of pushing for vocal sound. What I teach people is to open their resonation spaces and then just shape resonation into sound. And then the mic picks it up so much better 
because you're not shoving too much, you know, volume into the mic. You're sort of self-compressing, but you're pulling your resonance cave open and the bandwidth is thicker. So your voice is richer and you have, it's like a magic trick. You're louder. Even, even metal screamers pull the scream instead of push the scream. And it's amazing. And people that talk all day, all of a sudden are not vocally fried at the end of the day. And uh, the only time you should not do that is if you are acting a part that has to, uh, either in voiceover or as an actor, and you have to play a part that is tight. And then you'll have to do some vocal recovery exercises when you're done with the role. <laughs> right, right. Oh, that's great. And is there certain, I guess, uh, do you take like deep breaths from the stomach to before well, you're about to speak? Or is it just, I think I... I kind of stay in my head. You know, and that's, it's really important where you take the breath then. You've really hit upon a key factor because where you take it in is going to tend to be where you act on it, where you power your voice from. And if you do that from your diaphragm, man, that's job security for me. Right. Because you will crunch in your rib cage and sabotage your, your diaphragm. So here's the deal. If your head is balanced back over your, your tailbone or your heel, if you're standing, then you're, and you're not wearing something like really tight, then you're automatically going to let that air fall down to your pelvic floor, almost like a, like, uh, it's like riding a horse downhill. It's so it, you let it fall down into the saddle. And then that's where you're going to power your voice from. So you power yourself open, you power your rib cage open, and you power your throat open. And there's just, it's just, uh, you don't have to do like three months of breath training to get this right. You just have to retrain your lizard brain to pull instead of push for power. Right. So it's more about posture than breathing. Posture. There yeah. you go. Not flexibly tall, balancing your head over your tailbone on that sp on your spine. Mm -hmm. I'm totally doing that well. I know talking. me. I'm doing it better as we're talking myself. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm sitting up straight and not <laughs> leaning into the microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you want to get closer for those intimate little whispery kind of verses, you just move closer with your feet or your right. butt. You know, your chair, and that's all you need to do. Uh, but you, you know, you were asking about the, you know, the, the singers and speakers. And I, th I think I mentioned this to you when we first started talking about this interview, but what I find the professional voice needing is these three things. Access to resonance, you know, because we can make a lot more tone colors and, uh, and nuances that communicate, right? Uh, if we have access to our resonance spaces, and then we're going to be a lot louder with a lot less force through our vocal cords as well. Right. We need vocal health because if our vocal, if we're, uh, you know, if we're singing or speaking in abusive ways, we might be getting jobs because they want that kind of sound, but we're not, our careers aren't going to last very long. It's kind of hard to make money with a vocal career when you're dead, you know? So, mm -hmm. or when you're, you've got nodes or, uh, you know, vocal hemorrhage or polyps or what are all of those things. So you need vocal health. And the cool thing is, ready? This is the coolest equation, I think. 
the better your voice feels, the better it sounds for normal singing and speaking, unless you're playing a character voice. But uh, so those things go together. And then the third thing professional voices need is communication skills. And you hit on it just a minute ago when you were talking about acting. You can bet money that great singers are using great acting technique, meaning they're actually communicating to the heart the lyric makes sense to instead yeah. of just the audience or the control room because it changes things just like any acting exercise it and i know you must know a ton of them but when you know who you're talking to and then one one step farther you know the response you want from that heart that totally dictates how you form words doesn't it and the colors that you use of tone and volume and everything else what matters is what response do you want from the heart you're talking to? And when you know that, you've got, you've got it. You've got the magic. You've got the stage presence. You've got the it thing in your voice. Huh, that's cool because I, I teach, I coach on things like that just more so in communication skills, like just in general right. communication skills, like, you know, what you're going to write in your bio, what you're going to talk about on social media is like really connecting to who you really are authentically and telling stories mm -hmm. that will connect with people and draw them in because once you you're kind of speaking their language mm -hmm. and you draw them in like a magnet, not push your message to them like a blowhard. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> it works with your voice too. Absolutely. With singing as well. Mm -hmm. Wow. Cool. And so you have a book out as well. And also just maybe let us know a little bit more about how you work with artists now. Well, I work only online during this pandemic craziness. And yeah. uh, so I work through Zoom usually. And it works just great. I've worked for people as far away as Australia, then UK, India, uh, just, just everywhere in Nashville. <laughs> it just, was it more in person before? It was more in person. I, I, I right. got to where before the pandemic, I really was teaching a, at least a third or almost a half uh, of my lessons were online because they were distance lessons. Right. So I've learned to, to do it well. And it, you know, if I found out that if Zoom's getting really sketchy or Skype or whatever you're on, what you can do is what is, uh, turn off the, the audio on the screen and just look at the video on the screen, but then call each other on the phone, on the smartphone or whatever phone and put it on speakerphone. And that works just great. That just, that's a real fix. So I've got, you know, I've found some, some ways around some issues that can happen online so that we can almost always make it work. And for some people, I only teach them on the phone, but I can tell by the way your voice is sounding, whether or not your eyebrows are raised. Right. Because it matters. So anyway, I teach online, uh, personal, uh, lessons one-on-one -on -one or, up to four people for the same price. If it's a group or a family or something, they can split the time. Uh, and then I also have uh, a, a course, it's a six disc course that I'm selling digitally as well 
on vocal training that took me two and a half years to uh, create. And I'm got a smaller course that's just a one CD uh, or one disc course that's a lot cheaper. And then I have a, a, a DVD, which I also sell digital. I sell everything digitally now, but mm-hmm. it's on singing in the studio for singers who are doing vocals in the studio. It's not gear based. It's singer based. And I also have a vocal production workshop for audio production teams. If you're one of your side streams of income, which we all need these days is being, is working, uh, you know, uh, in, in your home studio or something, uh, or in a big, big studio, I can teach you what the other singers need. And so I've got that available as a two hour video workshop and I'm working on my first big uh, video online uh, digital course that should be out next year. It's a 12 module course that's going to be able, you might be able to buy it separately as well. But I also, for people that really don't have the money right now, because I'm very cognitive of how much professional voices cost or voice lessons yeah. cost. And I want everybody to be able to train that wants to. And it's always, you know, it's always better to have a one-on-one session with somebody. But I've got a blog and a podcast, just like you do have this. I've got all things vocal blog and podcast with actionable free vocal lessons about twice a month. And so people can find that. And then I've got this book that's, you know, available as an ebook and a a Kindle book on singing in the studio, which is a part of that other course. And so I've got that available through Amazon. So it's like, well, there's a will, there's a way if you really want to learn to take your voice to another level. Yeah, that's a I, resourceful is my one of my values because, you know, if you don't have the money, mm-hmm. but the information's out there and you just absorb everything you can, listen to podcasts, read books and and take all these like courses. Right. And then when you have more money and you ha- you all have that background then you're going to make even more out of the use of the time when you do hire right that a lot of people do that a lot of people will buy my courses and study them for a while and then just hit me up you know even if it's just for a half hour so i i teach hours and half hours and even one lesson can make a difference because like i say you don't have to take 3 months of breath training to instantly have better a better inhale, better breath support, and better breath control. Right. That's great. And so I always ask, what is your why? Why do you do what you do? Oh, wow. I do it, number one, I think, because I love unlocking voices. If I didn't, I don't think I could do it because I pour my whole being into every lesson. And it, it's, it can get tiring. And I, that, in fact, I've limited the number of lessons I do a, a day uh, or a week because of that. But I love doing it. Uh, but my why also, the deep why, and I want to make the world a better place. I want to lift up and magnify and protect voices of people that are trying to use their creative skills to make a difference in the world, however that is. Those are the people I want to work with. And then my other why is very personal, and that's my husband and my son. And, you know, 
my husband and I, right, for so many years, the only traveling we did was for my business. And I did a lot of traveling for that. But now we're traveling for fun and fulfillment and just being together in a non-work environment. So I'm balancing my life better now than I ever have. So I'm, I'm kind of working for that too. So it's just win-win. The, the better I feel, the better lesson you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we have a similar why. And I guess why we work with artists is that, you know, I believe artists change lives with their talent. Mm, yes. And so if what we do could help more of these artists succeed, that's wonderful for everyone. Absolutely. Win, win, win. Yep. Wonderful. And so where can people find you online? Well, I'm going to make it really simple because it's my hub of everything and all of the fishing rods and lines come out of this. <laughs> uh, ex uh, and that is judyrodman.com. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. And that's what I also I teach artists. Just have everything grow from your website. Right. And that, that way you do have a simple answer. You don't have to be like, well, I'm this on Instagram and then I'm this. On, and then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then if one of those fails, you're out of luck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Have a so, home base. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But if you're, if, if you're doing, if, if you're looking for just the podcast, because then that's the only thing that's a little bit different. I embed my podcast in my blog on my site so they can get it there. But if they're, if they just like listening to podcasts, just look for all things vocal. Yeah. Yeah. Which you will, you will soon be on. <laughs> I look yes. forward. Mm -hmm. I look forward to picking your brain as well. Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> that'd be so good. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me on. It was so great talking to Judy. I learned a lot. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could rate and review it on your favorite podcasting app. It really helps get the show discovered. And you could also share it. Share it with your friends. Share it with your fellow musicians and actors and performers. Thanks for listening to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. Be sure to join the mailing list at dianefoy.com to gain access to exclusive bonus content, a weekly newsletter, and an invitation to our private Facebook group of purpose-driven performing artists and industry influencers. 